Well, good morning to all of you here, and if you're watching online, it's good to have you with us too. We're going to be uh, starting at least in John chapter 3, but I'll be reading a few other scriptures as well. It'd be great if you had a Bible, either on a device or uh, an old school copy like I've got. Um, we do have some copies of the Bible, so if you, if you want one, put your hand up and uh, Wendy's at the back there. I'm sure that she'll, uh, she'll give you a Bible if you'd like one. And um, just by way of introduction, it's been quite a busy week. I, I'm ringing a little bit down, the, down here. I don't know if you can do anything about that. If I move this up, that sometimes helps. Um, it's been a busy week. We've made some more progress on uh, these staff appointments that we're trying to fill at the church. So please do continue to pray for that. I think, God willing, we should be in a position fairly soon to... Uh, give you a name uh, of someone to come and fill the praise and worship uh, pastor job and um, yeah making progress on the evangelist role I hope uh, there's an individual who's just praying over whether this is the right uh, the right thing for them so please continue to pray about these uh, important uh, appointments and um, Christmas services are upon us and I imagine everybody is weighing up the pros and cons of coming to church. All of you obviously made the right decision. Uh, but uh, if you've decided to stay home today, we, we can understand your thinking. And uh, obviously there are people in the church who have, um, who have currently got the virus. So, so please do be praying along the lines that David led us. I want to start by, this morning by telling you two quick stories from my own experience. The first one uh, was... A long time ago, I was, I don't know if you ever do this, but late night, I was just flicking through. You want me back here? Oh, okay. But I quite like moving around. <laughs> okay, I'll do, I can go that way, you reckon? No, okay, all right, well, I will stay right here. Sorry about that if you're at home and I disappeared off, uh, off screen. Uh, two stories. Uh, some years ago, I was late night, I'm sure, I'm sure all of you do this from time to time, just flicking through TV, seeing if there was something, you know, got the clicker in my hand, just flicking through. And I paused on this film, I've no idea what the film was. Um, and in the film, uh, it was set in, in, in wartime, that was probably got my, I'm, I'm very interested, it always have been in the Second World War, and it, that probably got my attention, the man was in uniform. And he was having a conversation with a, with a lady, he was obviously posted overseas, and this lady and he were having a conversation. It became clear the lady was trying to seduce him. And uh, he was obviously tempted. But in the end, he said to her, no. And she said this, who will ever know? And he said, God will know. He said, I've got a wife back home. She may never find out, but God will know. This week, Naomi and I uh, were out uh, and um, we walked past a house and our attention was drawn to the house because we could hear a child crying very loudly. And then we heard some shouting and then we heard some noises that sounded very much like somebody smacking someone quite vigorously, repeatedly. And as our attention was drawn and we looked, there was a frosted glass window, but because the light was on behind it, we could quite clearly see somebody hitting a child. So I... Um, I'm not really much of a, you know, bold confronter in life, but I, you know, rushed to the door 
By the time I got to the door, it had stopped, but I, I could see in because the door was ajar, and that was why we could hear what was going on. And, um, and I waited there to see if she, the, the adult, it was a woman, was going to hit her child again. Um, she didn't, uh, fortunately. And after it became clear she wasn't going to, I said to her, you've just been hitting your child. The child, could, by this time, could see me, uh, but the parent couldn't because she had her back to me. And at first, she flat out denied it. Said, no, no, nobody hit anyone here. And I said, well, I said, I'm really sorry, but I saw and I heard, I know you did. At which point she changed tack. Said, did you film it? Have you got any evidence? Can you prove it? I, I, it was the heat of the moment. I think my answer was, really? Is that your answer? That it doesn't matter if nobody can prove it? Um, she at that point looked relieved and I, the conversation went on a bit. Uh, but I, I vividly remember at one point saying to her, it's irrelevant in one sense whether I've got evidence or not because I believe in God and he saw. One of the themes that we get in John's Gospel, um, as we said last week, is this theme of light and darkness. And light takes on different connotations. It speaks of what is good and right in contrast to evil. It's used as a metaphor for the truth and for, for Jesus lighting our path, uh, a bit like it says in the psalm, that your word is a light to my feet. He, it's like a torch. We can see the way we're going. But there's another meaning, and it comes out in the verse that David read to us. Let me read to you the slightly wider passage. It starts with a verse that you'll be familiar with. John 3:16. following, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Very important. Um, the expectation of the Messiah was that he would condemn the Romans and defeat them militarily and establish Israel. Jesus' mission was entirely different. On the one hand, he says, if I'm going to start condemning sinners, that's all of you. It's not just the Romans. But actually, I didn't come into the world, at least on this occasion, to condemn it, to condemn you. I came to save you. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. And here John explains why people choose not to come to Jesus. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Reflecting on our two stories then, in the first story, the man chooses to do what is right because he understands that all his actions ultimately will come to light. And in reality, the darkness is an illusion because God sees everything. In the second story, we see somebody who's whose concern is, can I keep my deeds in the darkness? Or are they going to be brought to light? Uh, for those of you who are concerned, and you'd every right to be, just to reassure you, we did report what had happened. And uh, uh, um, whilst I, I understand how difficult it is to raise children, <laughs> um, 
there is clearly no excuse for hitting your child in the way that she was doing that. But that's interesting, isn't it? Two ways of understanding our lives and understanding our conduct. And this theme of people doing what is wrong under the cover of darkness and trying to keep it there and God bringing his light to bear on the actions of humanity runs right through the scriptures. In the Old Testament, we find it in Ecclesiastes. Um, let me read to you Ecclesiastes 12, 14. I believe it's the very last verse of Ecclesiastes. Yes, it is. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Paul picks up the same theme in Ephesians. Let me read to you what he has to say there. It would have been better if I'd have marked all these passages, wouldn't it, really? But there we are. I've got it now. He's, Paul says this in Ephesians 5, verse 8. You were once darkness, but now as Christian people you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's a challenging thing, isn't it? Paul says we're to act like a free press in a free society and expose what is wrong. Live in the light. I remember at the time of the MP's expenses scandal, um, um, I'm not sure if he said it at the time or sometime previous, but uh, Tony Benn, who some of you will remember, I'm not a huge fan of his politics, but I really agreed with one thing he said, and that was this, transparency is the best disinfectant. Very good. It's when people think their deeds are going to be hidden away. When the Telegraph got hold of all of those MPs' expense claims and started exposing them, one MP, from memory, Lembit Opik, rather than um, confessing and admitting what was wrong, he decided that he'd attempt to point the finger at the Telegraph for publishing a list that they shouldn't have been in possession of. How easily our minds get twisted to think we have a right to do what is wrong behind closed doors. God does not give anybody the right to do that. It'll all be brought out. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it said, wake up, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. And finally, Luke, if you want another of the New Testament writers, Luke 8, verse 17, Jesus simply says this, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. This week, uh, forgive me for telling a slightly indelicate story, but it will amuse you and also um, illustrate the point. I am... Um, like all of us, had to pay a trip to, uh, to the small room in the house. And um, once I'd finished, I stood up and was alarmed to see that what was in the bowl was bright red. 
And um, I don't know about you, but when I see an, some alarming new symptom, which as you get older, you know, symptoms start to occur with regularity, don't they, or more regularity, um, I looked at it and thought, oh, no. And there was part of me, you know, start catastrophizing the worst possible uh, uh, outcomes of all of this. And I don't know if you're like this. I, I understand it tends to be men more than women. Um, sort of thinking, if I don't go to the doctor and I don't speak to anyone about this, it isn't happening, right? Next day, I'm thinking, I'm sure I'll be fine. Same thing occurs. And I think, right, I can't, I can't uh, deny this anymore. I, I do have a doctor living in close proximity to me. So, um, so I had a word with her and... Uh, and there was an element. You never want to see the doctor, a doctor looking concerned, do you? You want to see, oh, don't worry about it, nothing to worry about. No, Naomi did briefly look quite concerned. And then I remembered something. I'd eaten beetroot crisps. <laughs> uh, suffice to say, my fears were allayed. Um, but anyway, there is a great trauma in coming to terms with the truth about ourselves, right? I mean, who really wants to know the truth about themselves? And this is threatening. As Jesus comes into the world, one of the things he does is he sheds light on everything. And God knows you as you really are. Not the pretense you put up in front of everybody else, which all of us do to a certain extent. And the process of Christian living, in one sense, is coming to terms with that fact and starting to live in the light, as it says in Ephesians. Is starting to accept that, that actually we've got to try and bring our, the public projection of ourselves and the reality about ourselves together, rather than living two lives, leading one life in the dark. It's understandable. If you feel threatened by this sense that actually who you are in the dark is actually absolutely transparent to God, and worse, that he offers you no guarantee that he'll allow things to remain hidden. On the contrary, ultimately, it will all come to the light. That is a traumatic thing for any of us, right? But equally, it holds the possibility of great comfort, as we'll see as we work through it. But let me just give you a few sort of bullet points as we come to terms with this very threatening teaching. Firstly, there are no secrets. Secondly, God promises to judge everything that is done. But thirdly, God promises or offers to you an escape route from that judgment. And then we will think briefly for a few moments about how we should live in the light of all of this. So first of all, there are no secrets. God sees and worse, God will expose. My mum was very fond of saying to me when I was a kid and I was doing something wrong and trying to cover it up, be sure your sin will find you out. I, I grew up thinking it was just inevitable that if I did anything wrong, it was coming straight out. Uh, I, um, I, I, I thought that was actually in the Bible, those words, because my mum quoted it so often at me. 
I heard from somebody else, perhaps somewhat manipulatively, that their parent, uh, their mum, used to say to them when they were asked a question and they wanted the truth, Jesus is listening. <laughs> Jesus is listening. But whilst that's quite threatening, it is true. And this is a huge challenge for us. And one temptation for us is to try and push that truth to the margins of our lives, not grapple with it. Or indeed, it's one great temptation towards atheism or agnosticism because then I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to face who I am. And as long as I can hide the darker sides of my personality, no one need ever know about it. There was a band I used to listen to when I was a bit younger. Uh, the band were called James. You can understand the attraction. Um, some of you may remember them. They had one or two very well-known songs. They wrote a song uh, called Ring the Bells. Um, and it was employing the metaphor of church bells being rung as a herald to good news. But the good news that they were preaching was that they no longer believed in God. Um, and some of the words I've written down here, I looked up the lyrics when I was preparing this, I no longer feel my God is watching over me. Ring the bells, this is great news. My spirit's free, there's nothing challenging me. I can live as I please. And undeniably, that is a very attractive belief at one level. I'm not accountable, I can do as I please. All the things, what Paul calls the shameful deeds of darkness, the things I have done that I would much prefer were kept hidden away in the dark, I don't need to worry. There's nobody watching over them. There's nobody going to judge them. I'm free. I can live as I please. It is only a rank individualist who could hold to that. Because in fact, and it's largely only a privileged person who could hold to that. This is actually very bad news indeed, if it's true. Because what it means is there is no ultimate justice in the world. And it's particularly bad news for those at the bottom of the pile. Because what it means is that anything that you have suffered at the hands of others, there'll be no ultimate accounting. You just have to suck it up. Perhaps you try to get to the top of the pile if you can, but if you can't, Sylvie. If you happen to have been an African person ripped out of your homeland, brutally mistreated and taken into slavery, it's just the way the cookie crumbled for you. If you are a woman whose potential has been stunted because you have grown up in a society where women in extreme cases, are not even educated. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. There's nobody watching over you. And James, the band James, seemed very pleased about it because it gets them off the hook. If you are uh, a homeowner and someone has come into your home and robbed you of all that you own and the police can't find who did it, well, that's just the way it is. 
If you're a Jew in Nazi Germany and you were taken to a concentration camp and brutally murdered, there's nobody watching. James seems delighted. I suggest it's because that band, the lead singer, is a rank individualist and he's not thinking through the consequences, the wider consequences of what he's proclaiming. Because if there is no God watching over the human race, that is very bad news indeed. It means in the end that all that matters is naked power, might is right. There's no morality. There's no final accounting. It struck me that I would quite like to go to the house of the lead singer, I suspect he's quite wealthy, and see if he's got any CCTV up. Or whether, if, uh, if he were to be burgled, he'd call the police and hope they'd gain evidence and prosecute someone. Because people are hypocrites, aren't they? He's very pleased not to be accountable himself, but I suspect if somebody did wrong to him, he would like them to be accountable for their actions, right? Well, maybe he didn't think it all through. The good news is there is a God who is watching, even though that's threatening for us. And worse than just watching, he doesn't just watch. The promise here is he will judge. And his judgment is relentless. And we are to- he doesn't let anything go. Doesn't sweep anything under the carpet. He remembers every single thing. And he is holding all holding every human being to account. Not immediately, but there is a promise there will be a day when every action will be brought to the light. And we are warned that God will have a particular concern for the poor. So those of us like me, who are undeniably amongst the world's privileged, have a particular, should have a particular concern that we are generous and treat the poor, uh, whether that's the materially poor or people who are deprived in some other way with particular care and consideration. Jesus himself said, when you serve them, you are serving me. But the good news is that balancing this relentless observation and this relentless judgment is God's mercy. Because Jesus didn't come into the world just to condemn everyone. He came into the world to save the world. There's CCTV everywhere these days. I don't know how if, if you're aware of how much you are watched. But I remember even when I was back in Bible college, so going on for 25 years ago, um, we were talking in our sociology of religion lessons about the fact that CCTV and you know, the way in which we are observed Every single thing you have ever typed into Google is logged forever. It's a truly harrowing thought, isn't it? Every page you have ever downloaded is logged forever. So much now of our life is scrutinised. God is like that in a sense, only far more effective. He knows and scrutinises everything. But CCTV and these other forms of technology, they're absolutely impersonal. They just log what you've done and that's it. God, unlike Google, offers a way to have your sins erased. 
And that's what Jesus came into the world to do, to make atonement for your sin. God will always judge sin. But Jesus stood in your place and my place and took that judgment. So that if we will come to him, we can know forgiveness. We can be reconciled with God, who is, the Bible quite clearly teaches, outraged by our wrongdoing. And we can, be, we can have our sins and our wrongdoing removed from us, the scriptures say, as far as the east is from the west. I remember a story I was told in an assembly when I was a little boy. And um, the story went along these lines that um, a bishop was talking to an atheist at the dinner table. And the bishop asked the atheist, what, what would convince you to believe in God? And the atheist said, well, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Tonight before I go to bed, I'll pretend God's there and I will confess to him some wrongdoing I've done today. And if you can come tomorrow and tell me what I confess to God, I'll believe in your God. The bishop decides, okay, well, God can, God can work with this, I'm sure. And he, he takes up the challenge. The next day, they're sat together again. And the atheist says, so? Smug look on his face. He doesn't think that there's any way the priest will be able to meet his, uh, his criteria. He says, what did I confess yesterday? And the bishop says to him, well, I asked God, but God can't remember. He has chosen to forgive you and put that sin away forever. God sees everything. Nothing's getting brushed under the carpet. But his purpose for you is not to shame you. His purpose for you is to deal with it and then teach you to live better. The problem is that our sins are not only about us. Almost inevitably, I think it is inevitable, that everything we do wrong not only offends God, it, it offends God because it usually hurts somebody else. Either us, God doesn't want us hurting ourselves, he doesn't want us becoming corrupt. Many of us, have hidden shame that we wrestle with and we'd be horrified at the thought of it coming out. But within the church, within God's purposes, that's not the way God wants us to live. I want to just close by giving you some pointers to the kind of life that God actually wants us to have once we've come to him. First of all, he wants us to confess our sins to God. He wants us to confess our sins to him. He's not going to be surprised by anything you acknowledge before him. He already knows. But he wants us, all of us, to come before him in humility and recognise who we are and recognise those shameful things and just say to him, Lord, please forgive me. In... Um, one of John's later writings, we hear this. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, hiding and covering up our wrongdoing, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So we're open before God. We lay our lives bare before him. They already are in reality, but we stop pretending they're not. And we confess to him what is wrong. That's the first step. But James takes it another step and says, actually within the church, it's meant to be a community of light, we confess our sins to each other. Oh, I am not saying, <laughs> just in case by the end of the service anybody has made, uh, or by the time you leave, I'm not saying you wander around with a badge parading all your worst moments to everybody. But Tim put into his uh, goals for life groups that everyone in our church family would have at least one person who knows what's really going on. Martin Luther said of all of the reforms he wanted to bring to the corrupt Catholic Church of his day, the one thing he did not want to get rid of was the confessional. Why? Because there is great comfort when you hear a human being say to you, I believe God has forgiven you. And in the name of the church, I forgive you too. Hiding our sins away, that's like the person who refuses to go to see the doctor when some alarming symptom comes up. Deal with it. God's a great doctor. And whilst some physical diseases can be very uh, bad indeed, nothing you've done is terminal with God. Nothing. And thirdly, we grow into people. Uh, Paul says we mature into people who learn to speak the truth in love.